Hello, I'm Matthew Burrett. And I'm Taylor Romans, and this is Hard Beeswax, Experiences in Waldorf Education. This week on Hard Beeswax, Matthew and I spoke with Stephanie Todman, a Waldorf alum and Waldorf grades teacher. If you are enjoying listening to these episodes, please consider helping us continue this work by making contributions to the show. You can do this through our website and our Patreon account by making one-time donations, or if you could, consider making monthly contributions, which goes to support our work here at the Hard Beeswax Podcast Studio. If a financial contribution is not in the cards, please consider sharing our episodes with friends, family, or anyone else you think might enjoy what we are doing here at the podcast. We thank you all for listening. We realize that we are just two individuals who are part of this global educational movement, and we want to be very clear that we are only speaking from our own experiences and from our own impressions. We do not presume to speak for the Waldorf movement as a whole. Well, Stephanie, thank you so much for joining us here on the Hard Beeswax podcast. Yeah, thank We're you for so, being here. Yeah, it, it's amazing that, you know, as time goes on, the, the reach is growing broader. And, you know, we're meeting for the first time here on Zoom today. And uh, we've we've come a long, a long way from interviewing our old classmates and old teachers. So thank <laughs> you for joining us. Yeah. Oh, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to meet you today. Great. Well, you know, we, I think, generally like to start our, um, our, our conversations with teachers with what was your own experience of education when you were a child? Yeah. Uh, so I actually, uh, I went to a water school. Oh. I'm a graduate of the school that I'm currently teaching at. Wow. So... Yeah, so I've been around for a while. So I did JK through grade eight uh, at a Waldorf school, uh, public high school, and then, you know, university teacher training, teachers college, all of that stuff after. Uh, and it was good. I've always liked school. Um, you know, it's worked for me. I've enjoyed it. Uh, thank goodness, because I'm stuck here forever now. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, were the, um, what were some of your early experiences as a Waldorf student that maybe solidify in your mind as this is what Waldorf was for me? Ooh, oh, that's a good question. I mean, I don't know. What did we do? <laughs> Maybe the plays and the maypole dancing. Oh, um, yeah, for sure. Stick out as highlights um, from when I was a child. And it just, it always made sense to me. It, it was never, why am I at this school with fairies and hard beeswax? Because that is a very real thing. <laughs> <laughs> frustrating um yeah so it just it made it made sense to me it always clicked I never I never ever questioned why my parents put my sister and I there uh-huh. um, yeah we were just we were content were there blocks or classes that particularly called to you as you went up through the grades Ooh, um I really liked geometry mm. we did that in grade six with all the beautiful drawings um yeah, that one definitely stood out. Norse mythology. That's Ooh. always a highlight, I think, for everybody. Totally. <laughs> I think everyone can, at that age, relates to Loki. They're like, yeah. Loki. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was Baldur in the play, so. Of course you were. Yeah. <laughs> People were throwing styrofoam rocks at me and stuff. Oh, yeah. Well, see, let, let me level you up, Matthew. I was old Odin after the apples got stolen. So I had dyed gray hair, wrinkles. A big staff. I was I was elderly Odin. Nice. So nice. <laughs> I'm just wondering. Oftentimes, questions we get are like you know social life stuff. How how was that for you? The social scene. Yeah, um, I was I was pretty shy. <laughs> so, uh, but you know, it was good. It was it was fine. Um, you know, I was there. I had fun. I had friends. I don't I don't keep in touch with those folks so much anymore. Um, mm. but, uh, you know, it was, it was good. It was good at the time. Yeah. yeah. So then you transitioned out of being at a Waldorf school all the way through your experience of education so far, and then went into a public high school. What was that transition like for you? Uh, it was easy actually. Um, oh. yeah, no, it was, it was 
Yeah, it was fine. Actually, I was surprised at how easy it was. I thought for sure it would be trickier to go from this little tiny school of, I don't know, whatever it was, like a hundred and some odd, 150 kids, you know, to a high school, which was still small. It was under a thousand students, but it's big in comparison. Totally. It was good. I had, I had lots of fun in high school as well. And yeah, you know, I enjoyed the change. We didn't have a Waldorf high school near me at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, So it wasn't a realistic option. Um, It would have taken me an hour to drive to one. Wow. I didn't want to do that. So. And in, 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 so you went up to eighth grade is right. And then is, was there a project or a kind of a, a eighth grade activity that you did the culminating activity? Oh yeah. Yeah. We did our grade projects. Oh. So I built, yeah. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. I built a wooden house for my rabbit. <laughs> yes. Nice. That's yeah. awesome. <laughs> yeah. So it was this big outdoor house you could like lift up the roof to get the rabbit out I had put logs on it for siding and it I mean the rabbit lasted a long time and then the house outlived the rabbit so nice very nice yeah. that's amazing that's really amazing <laughs> I always love eighth grade projects it's just like such a they're, yeah. they're like so naive and and wholesome you know <laughs> whereas I feel like sometimes senior projects can be a little bit like seniors think they have it all figured out, you know? So there is, there is something really magical about the eighth grade project. Nice. Yeah. They're lovely. I enjoy seeing them every year. It's uh, fantastic. Every time. Yeah. Nice. So, and, oh, sorry. Sorry. Can I, can I ask one more question? Did you, did you travel with a class teacher all eight years or what was your experience with your class teacher? Yeah. Yeah. We did. Um, I think starting in grade three, that was our first sort of overnight trip. We went to a farm. We did two nights there our little farm trip, which was fun. You know, I got to milk a cow and, you know, we found that the electric fences were, you know, you could touch them and it was fine, but it was shocking. Yeah. Um, yeah, You know, different trips. I think we did an overnight trip every year, which was fantastic. Our big one in grade eight was a, um, a week on the French river. We did for a week and one of the big Voyager canoes. So it was 15 students, my teacher and our two guides all in one, Gigantic canoe for wow. a week. Wow. That's incredibly Canadian. Yeah. <laughs> very, very Canadian. <laughs> yeah, really. And was, did you have the same class teacher first through eighth grade? I did not. Um, actually, I, I went through five class teachers. Wow. wow. Yeah. yeah, which is atypical for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, normally, ideally one, usually one to two is, mm-hmm. is pretty good. Uh, five, not so much, but that's just the way it worked for my class. And that was fine. It's all good. Yeah. Yeah. I think, again, it, it's so easy to forget that as a kid having an experience, it's it's all you know. It's your experience. And you don't start, like, grading it against others until later on, right? Yeah, absolutely. Nice. So then when you came out of high school going into, you know, postgraduate plans, what were, you know, where were you leaning? Did you already have a sense that you wanted to go into education or where was your head at as you were coming out of high school going into, you know, the postgraduate life? Yeah. I knew I wanted to stay close to home for Mm -hmm. university. I spent half of grade 12 away. Um, I was in Switzerland for half of grade 12. So I was happy. Yeah, I was, that was cool. Uh, so I was happy to stay nearby somewhere drivable from home. Um, so yeah, so I, I didn't know what I wanted to get a degree in. I switched my major a couple of times while I was there. Um, until finally, uh, my husband, actually, we were dating, we were already dating then. Um, he said, you know what, you should, you should be a teacher. I said, okay. And (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah so then you know just worked my way I got uh, my degree in theater and film and history and then I went to teachers college and then I did Waldorf teacher training after teachers college wow so how was Waldorf teachers training like after coming back after you know being in the class being a student uh yeah it was it was nice Uh, I really enjoyed it it's nice to sort of see the other side of the coin. Um, mm-hmm. My mom also worked at the school while I was a student for many years. Um, so, you know, I can, I've been asking her sort of anthroposophical questions for mm. years and years and years, but to get to dive in and study it with other people who are interested in studying it uh, was really delightful. I enjoyed it immensely. And yeah. and how did you come back to Waldorf teacher training, right? Because you, it sounds like, you know, you'd, you'd come away from it. And how did you find your way back? 
Yeah. So during regular teachers college, we had to do three placements. Um, and the first two were sort of assigned to us based on our teachables. Uh, the third one we got to pick. And I said, oh, well, can I can I go to the, the Waldorf school? And they were like, sure, that's fine. So I went back and I spent, I don't, I don't even remember how long it was, a few weeks. But over that placement time, um, I actually got to go on a grade three farm trip. <laughs> that oh, was part wow. of my And, you know, by the end of that time, it was very clear to me that's where I wanted to be. Said, nope, I'm going to, I got to come back. So I hassled my school for a couple of years until they finally hired me. And yeah, <laughs> so, here I am. So what, when you, when you imagined being a class teacher, what, I mean, were there parts of it that were more intimidating than others? Because as a class teacher, you are wearing all the hats, you know, you, you don't get to you just settle in and get really cozy in your strengths and then have someone else do the tough bits, right? So what going into training, were there some areas you felt really confident in and other areas that maybe you were, you know, had some trepidation about diving into? Yeah, sure. The um, I think class plays and sort of all the history blocks and things felt pretty good. Mm -hmm. I could, you know, I could handle those. That was good. Sometimes math, you know, I find myself maybe relearning a little bit of math. Don't tell my students that. Um, and then parent, yeah, I know all of it. Guys. Um, and, uh, and parent work too. I knew was something that would, uh, which I enjoy. It's incredible. I have met so many wonderful, wonderful people um, in the parent body, but I also knew that that was a very new way of working to create these relationships with the parents and really work as a team together yeah. so that we can the child in the middle and get get them what they need, right? Yeah. Right. Can you tell us a little bit about the experience of grades training? You know, both Matthew and I went through high school teacher training, which is ah. much more specific. Yeah. You know, and there's general classes that cover kind of some of the developmental picture of adolescence. And we, we have some of those bigger picture classes, but a lot of time is also focused on the subject you will be teaching. So I'd be curious to hear what, you know, how long was your teacher training? What was the format of it? And maybe what were the main topics you dove into? Yeah, we did. My program was four years part-time. Um, I don't know if all of the part-time programs are that long. I think some of them are maybe three years. So it was, yeah, three sessions a year and we dove into everything. We were reading Rudolf Steiner stuff. We were doing the history of human consciousness through art and architecture. We were doing child development, you know, we do well. I mean, I guess we, we probably focused on, yeah, birth through 21, then really focused um, on seven to 14, of mm -hmm. course. And so looking at that stage and then just trying to try little, go into snippets of all of the different subjects that you teach over the course of the eight years. How can you teach botany? How can you teach grade eight chemistry? How can you teach grade six geometry? Just all of it. It was very, very full. Um, it was fun. It really, it really was. <laughs> I feel like it, that is such a unique quality in the grades teacher of, of like genuine curiosity for all of those things of maybe even if they don't have necessarily yeah. like a doctorate in a subject, they are genuinely excited and curious about diving into it. Yeah, it, it's fun. That's my nerd side. <laughs> I get really excited. You know, that math that I'm working on, for example, you know, I learned something new and exciting or something different that we can try. And yeah, it's it's fun. I like math. My, stu tell, my students will tell you that too. I'm always <laughs> bugging them. <laughs> so you'll like it. It's fun. You'll like it. I promise. Yeah. yeah. So then what were... When was the first time in your training where maybe you learned something about the why behind your education where you said, whoa, that makes sense. That clicks. I remember seeing that. That rings very true. I think when it, it was when we were looking at child development because I didn't have, you know, sort of the theory and the actual knowledge and uh, growing up. So then diving into it as an adult and being able to look back on my childhood or other children that I knew as an adult and hearing the experience of my colleagues in the program and just seeing, oh, wow, what we're doing here is really fitting the age and stage. And I see that again and again every day. Yeah. And yeah, so that's that's what I think where it really clicked for me on, um, so yeah, more of like an academic level. 
like, oh, yes, this is, this is working. Yeah. yeah. I have a kind of silly question. <laughs> I, I'm wondering about your first impressions uh, as a teacher standing up in front of the, your classroom for the first time. Was there something that you were like, oh, was there a realization as a, you know, from being on one side of the desk from than the other that you had? Um, no, it was, that was pretty smooth. I think the weirdest thing for me was having some of my teachers become my colleagues. Oh, yeah. Oh, uh-huh. <laughs> having to call them by their first name. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah, that was exactly it. <laughs> yeah. Because I, I think, um, yeah, I think when I started teaching, there were still two teachers at the school who'd been my teachers. Um, wow. So my German teacher was still there. Um, and actually, it was my sister's class teacher. She was still there. Um, and so all of a sudden, these women who were these, you know, a real force to be reckoned with, both of them amazing women. And all of a sudden, they're my colleagues. <laughs> that, was, that was all. It was really weird. <laughs> like larger than life people becoming human sized. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was exactly it. Yeah. So then how did you get into the classroom? What was your journey then from getting the training, having the, being armed, right, with with the the arsenal and then how did you come into the classroom? So I started bugging my school for a class teacher job a couple of years before they ended up hiring me and I had my teacher train my bachelor of education at that point but not my Waldorf teacher training. And they said, yes, you know, it sounds great. This looks great. But could you maybe get some teacher training and then come back to us? Mm -hmm. I started the training and I, every so often I would just, you know, I think I applied. It was third time's the charm. I think I got the class position the third (laughs) time I tried for it. Um, And that was partway through my training. So I was teaching and finishing up my training. um, Yeah. Yeah. I... I would love to maybe hear if if you're comfortable with it, like a little bit of kind of the journey of right of like what characterizes first grade and what are you as a class teacher working with? Because first grade is kind of this weird point where in so many ways, like seven to 14 are all lumped together. But like you're on the cusp of seven in first grade. Like I did elementary Spanish teaching for a little bit and I remember It was like my first graders imitated like they were so deep in imitation. And then by second grade, you had to bring something different. Right. Or that was my experience where then in second grade, you were kind of like, okay, I need to I need to change. I can no longer like jump and you all just jump. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, absolutely. You do have to change as a teacher over those eight years. You cannot be a grade one teacher in grade eight. It's not going to work out for you. So that was actually another terrifying thing of starting teaching, I think, is because all through training, you know, they're always saying, you need to be worthy of imitation. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) I I am worthy of imitation, but I will try. So it's, yeah, you know, I I feel like a slightly different person every year because I have to be to meet my students Hmm. where they're at. In grade one, you're, it's very slow and gentle and dear children now we are going to sing the song you don't even tell them that you just start singing and then they do they follow you but you know by grade seven and grade eight it's like okay now everybody up now now we're singing the song and the, the relationship has to change right you you can speak to them differently when they're 12 and 13 and 14 than you can when they're seven and eight and um it's it's nice because if you especially for the students that you've had for if you get them feel lucky enough to have some of the students for a full eight years, you really, really know them mm-hmm. by the time you're on grade eight. And it can be quite a deep relationship. You really do know a lot about each other. And it's lovely. I feel so fortunate. Uh-huh. Yeah. So what are um what like I'm 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 so curious about like you know, when you were crafting main lesson books, you know, and doing main lesson book pages and how, I mean, how did, it's such a big thing to take on because, you know, I, chalkboard drawings and all the paintings that you're doing on your own beforehand. Can you talk a little bit about kind of how the rhythm and life of a class teacher became interwoven with your life as an individual person and mother, right? And, and wife and human who cooks and eats, right? Like it, it, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes, sometimes. Yeah. lots of tea. 
So much tea. Tea right now. <laughs> tea right now. Right. Um, yeah, it, it, yeah, it's a lot to figure out for sure. It was easier. I didn't have kids when I started teaching, so I did have a couple of years to sort of get my feet under me as a teacher before I had my own children. So that helped. But just, you know, figuring out what worked. For me, I have a portable chalkboard. So mm. if I need to do my chalkboard drawing at home, I can do it at home. I can also turn it around so I can work on one on the back. Mm. If I can advance little snippets at a time so that it's ready to go when I can flip it. So just, mm. you know, little little things like yeah. that. And you know, now my dear, lovely husband, he knows sort of the rhythm of my year, right? So he knows when it's report card time or when I'm having the last minute panic at the end of the summer. Um, so he also knows my rhythm of the year, which is helpful too, because then, you know, he's wonderfully supportive for all of these things, but it's, it's a lot to work in, but it's nice now being on my second time teaching in the grades, second time through. Oh, So now I have lesson plans and wow. everything. Finally, after eight years, look back on and reuse. <laughs> Not everything from scratch every day, yeah. which is nice. I'm, I'm wondering two things. Um, they're kind of different questions. So maybe I'll just ask one to start. Um, you know, could you talk a little bit about reading and, and, you know, putting, putting reading, I don't know if it's true in your school, but in my experience, it was came in third grade and often that was so considered to be so late and parents were often concerned about that. Could you speak a little bit about the reading curriculum? Yeah. And maybe some of the like pedagogical whys behind that placement. Mm-hmm. I really like the way we approach reading and language in Waldorf schools, at least in my school anyway. It very much follows, if you look at it, it's following the evolution of human language and writing, but in just a couple of years instead of yeah. many, many thousands. So in the kindergartens, it's all just, it's that oral tradition, right? They're listening, they're speaking, they're hearing the stories just day after day, and it is sinking in deeply. They're not writing them down. They can bring them out in their imagination, and they become alive in the mm -hmm. culture of the classroom. Mm -hmm. And then slowly, 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 as you start to move up through the grades, you know, in grade one, we start with the letters, and we go, you know, every, we work every letter of the alphabet, and we take those letters from a story. So maybe to discover the letter M, you are hearing a fairy tale where there's a magical mountain. Mm -hmm. And then the mountains themselves, when you draw them, look like the letter M. And so we move from only the spoken word and then we move into the pictures. And then mm -hmm. from the pictures come these abstract forms that are letters. And then once you know the letters and their sounds, then you can put them together to make words. And it's wonderful. It's a beautifully slow build mm -hmm. so that the children are understanding. And we also recognize that some children do come to reading a little later. Some need a little bit longer uh, and that's okay. You know, you keep an eye on the ones who are taking more time for sure. But most of the time, one day those kids just wake up and something has clicked and all of a sudden they're reading and it is fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm struck with from my memory that it, it wasn't that we were prevented from having opportunities to try reading, but it was it was more that there wasn't an expectation that we could. Right? That that yeah. the you know, that there were there were still words written on the board, or there were, you know, we would look at books in the library, but that then by third grade, then it was really addressed as a skill, right? But that there were yeah. plenty of, there was a lot of exposure to the written word, you know, it, it wasn't like it was hidden. <laughs> no, 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 not at all. I mean, you know, they're not uh, reading from books in a kindergarten classroom, but, you know, probably no one is stopping a kindergarten child who can read, you know, if they're reading at home, that's amazing. Some yeah. kids can read really, really early. Uh, but no, you know, right, even in grade one, before you introduce those letters, I mean, you know, they're seeing their names are up on their desks or the date is on the board. And when they're starting to write in their main lesson books, it might not be things that they can read yes. yet, but it 
it is letters that they know. And through that process of doing and experiencing and they're seeing it on the board and they've heard the story and they've drawn the picture and they've read it together as a class and then everyone's had a chance to sleep on it. And then you're finally, finally, finally writing it so carefully in your book. And it's just, it's all these different ways to experience language mm. and reading and writing. And it all, it all comes together. It all complements each other, right? You can't mm-hmm. read if you can't write, you can't write if you can't read. Yeah. And so they're, they're, for me anyways, they're very much tied together and you just, you learn by doing. Yeah. yeah. Great. I mean, that's, yeah. that's a, that's a perfect explanation. Yeah. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it resonates with me too. And I, Another aspect of the grade school teacher that's always, I mean, the, the grade school years is, seems to be a mystery is the, what's called um, the nine-year change. Could you talk a little bit about what that means for you and how you've experienced it? Oh, yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> that gets talked about a lot at school. So, um, Taylor, like you said, you know, 7 to 14, there's a big difference in that seven-year period, you know, we look at it as one chunk of childhood, but there are all these different phases within this larger phase. And so that's, yes, this nine-year change, which is very broad window of possibility anywhere, you know, nine to 10, a little bit into 10. I think Steiner officially said nine and a half, but you know, it's a a broad range. Um, And it's, it's where children are really changing from that beautiful, Everything is good. Everything is all one. I am part of this wonderful world. I will imitate all of these things because I am, I am just, I am in it. And, you know, around this age of nine and a half, this is when children, uh, they step out of those early years of childhood. And instead of sort of seeing just the world as this one beautiful place that, you know, everything is good and I am part of it and it all makes sense, all of a sudden, it's almost as if they've turned around and they're now looking in a different direction out of the world. And they're starting to look with slightly more adult eyes at what they are seeing and what they are experiencing. And of course they don't know that they're the ones who are changing. Hmm. And this is part of what makes it so hard is they think everything else has changed. Hmm. Parents are not nice. Teachers are not nice. Friends are not nice. Everything is very hard. This is often where they'll ask really difficult questions like how do I know I'm not adopted how do you know you brought the yes. right baby the yes right? I vividly yeah, right. remember on the playground it was like suddenly everyone was adopted yeah and probably most of them aren't so, <laughs> it's, uh, so it, it's tough right because they're asking these really big questions and they're looking out suddenly towards um, a future they're seeing that they are moving towards adolescence, towards adulthood, and that is really, really frightening. And mm. so often the children around this age, they can be pretty grouchy. Um, it can be tough. It's usually really hard on parents often. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like a little mini adolescence at this time. So it's like having a, you know, a nine-year-old, 15-year-old. <laughs> oh, I can't wait. Know, it's, <laughs> <laughs> But it's, it's normal, right? We we can't we can't live in that beautiful realm of childhood our whole lives. And this is again one of those amazing things about the Waldorf curriculum is when the children are going through this, we are in grade three giving them really practical skills, right? Mm-hmm. Here's baking, here's building something, here's farming, here's growing, here's harvesting, here's weaving. You know, all of these wonderfully practical things that at least at our school come in the grade three curriculum. Mm-hmm. And saying, it's okay, you have the skills for this new world, you'll, you'll be fine, because look at all of the things that you can do. And yeah. so it, it supports them and helps them through this change. Yeah. Wow. So what, what advice do you give to the parents of your students in that time, as far as supporting, <laughs> you know, these nine-year-old adolescents? <laughs> yeah, this too shall pass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and that we have to, we have to approach the things that they say with with a grain of salt listen of course but also just you know we have to stay a little bit above a little bit outside it's very easy to be drawn into what our children are experiencing and a lot of parents at this time right they see their child experiencing something then they remember hard things that they experienced around that age Mm -hmm. 
Um, but in order to help the child, we have to, we have to be the adult, right? We have to be that ego. We have to do it with love. Mm -hmm. We have to do it with patience, but firmness too is necessary. Boundaries, right? They're always, now they're starting to really test boundaries a little bit more. So we need to help them learn, you know, these are the boundaries in our family. This is how we approach not getting along with a friend at school or whatever Mm -hmm. it might be. Um, and just remembering that it's, it's a normal phase of childhood and it's okay. Take a breath and it will, it will be okay. What's an experience from teaching third grade where you saw the curriculum and them developmentally meeting in a particularly poignant way, maybe? Mm, That's a tough one. Uh, It's been a few years since I was in... (laughs) Okay, so we... um... We often do a grade three building project at our school, mm-hmm. and it's usually something that ends up on the playground or something to sort of, you know, help the school community. So maybe it's a fence or a bench or, you know, something. Mm-hmm. So it's wonderful because these children at this age, you know, they're starting to get, I find, like new capabilities. They're starting to think in a slightly different manner. And so if you give children of this age the chance to measure something, and then to cut something, right? You can give them a saw, watch them, but give them a saw. And all of a sudden, you see how incredibly capable they are and how much it feeds them and how much joy they will saw a piece of wood (laughs) with, how much they love the garden that they've been tending all year. Um, Yeah, you just, you see how happy and how hardworking they are. They can work so hard mm-hmm. at this age and accomplish a lot if you give them the opportunity to. Yeah. Wow. So then moving then through the grades, right, of, you know, going into fourth, fifth grade, could you talk a little bit about the shift from the early grades into, you know, kind of those middle grades and into middle school as far as maybe the curriculum or what you experience as a teacher or, you know, just speak about that time, that transition time. Yeah. The curriculum, well, I mean, all the way through, it's serving the child where they're at. It's feeding what they need at that time. So um, like you mentioned, like every grade four is a Loki, right? So yeah, you know, (laughs) mischievous around there. So bring them tales and not just from the Norse mythology, but from wherever around the world you can find them, these beautiful tales of the trickster characters. Right. And then they they see it mirrored and then they see the little trickster character do something that maybe doesn't go so well for that character. And then it's a moment of maybe self-reflection. Right. Like, oh, hmm, you know, maybe if I do that thing, maybe something might happen. Yeah. To me. Right. Right. Yeah. And so as they're, you know, so then as they're changing, as they're getting older through the grades and they're the way that they're thinking is changing. And as they start to become sort of more analytical scientific thinkers, that's when we really start to bring in the sciences. We are, we are, we do science all the way through. Mm -hmm. Nature stories are a form of science. But, you know, when we start botany in grade five, it's this beautiful introduction to science um, by looking at plants in a different way. All of a sudden we're looking at the part of the plant and you're naming all of the wonderful processes that a plant does. And then you go into chemistry and physics and you're doing all these incredible experiments and you're watching and they're telling you what happens. So giving them the chance to see what's happening in there, in the world, in front of them. And they then discover for themselves what is happening. Of course, you, you know, you make sure that they are coming to the correct conclusion, of course, <laughs> but, they, but, they're, but they're telling the teachers the conclusion and they are relying on themselves hmm. to see. And that's, that's a gift. And it really serves the, you know, 12, 13, 14 year old as well to look at detail, to work analytically um, and to have this sort of rigorous scientific approach. It suits their brains really well, but that doesn't, for us anyways, at a Waldorf school, uh, that's not what the eight-year-old brain and heart right. and soul. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. 
how do you, um, you know, we, we as high school teachers had this experience of kind of a lot of times receiving the middle schoolers who are so ready for what comes next, right? And, you know, there was always this challenge with high school teachers to make sure that their experience was going to be something different, right? How do you, as a middle school teacher who's been with them from when they were so young, how do you meet that kind of, I, that 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 just adolescent kind of I'm over this you know this place is so lame like how how do you meet that energy what are you what tools do you have to kind of meet the the the, ad, the, the adolescent <laughs> ennui yeah <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. Uh, so grade eight they're really 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 busy yeah it's an absolute packed year at our school. They are working on, um, they have, so we do a big class play that's usually in the spring of grade eight. They're working on their grade eight projects that usually comes sort of end of winter of grade eight. We do a big class trip that usually comes in the fall of grade eight. Plus, you know, they actually do schoolwork. Yeah. So they're, they're just, they're busy and we try to give them new challenges, right? Something to overcome our, we still, we still do canoeing yeah. as our grade eight. Oh. Wow. In that regard, not the big canoes, individual or uh, tandem canoes now, but you know, it's a week out on trail in sort of back country. There are no washrooms, no nothing. You are carrying all of your food. You are carrying all of your gear. If you need to portage, you are carrying it. Yeah. The leaders, they're doing it too, but everybody is carrying canoes. Everybody is carrying food. Everybody is carrying tents. And it's it's tough. It's a challenging trip. And it's giving them something to work through, to overcome. Mm-hmm. And I think that idea of working hard work towards a goal, towards something that you can be proud of, uh, I think that's a, a good way to keep yeah. students of this age engaged and maybe complaining a little bit less. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they are so capable. I think, you know, they are. Matthew, yeah, they are. Matthew did the wilderness program in, um, at the Santa Fe Waldorf high school. And again, I was always, you know, you could probably speak to over and over again, just seeing kids rise. Oh yeah. You know, when, when, yeah. when, when presented with opportunity to do so. Yep. Yes. And they do rise when presented with that opportunity. It's incredible. Every single one of them will change and rise above in in their own way. And for some, you know, it's a a littler step. And for some, it's a massive step. But everyone has had that chance to stand up and rise up. And they do every time. It's, It's amazing. Well, I, I hear, I, excuse me, I hear so much enthusiasm in your voice. And I think I'd love to have you as a class teacher yes. if I had to do it again. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess I'm wondering, you know, what do you do t- for um, for yourself to to maintain your enthusiasm? And I'm sure there's days that are great and days that are, you know, trying. How do you how do you maintain your your enthusiasm and your your, you know, your self-care. You're well. <laughs> um, tea. Tea's really good. <laughs> um, yeah, what I, what I usually find is, you know, if something's tough, um, I'll end up back at school and then one of my students will just do something fabulous. Mm. And then it's like, ah, yeah, that's awesome. Or they'll make me laugh. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, they're, they're so funny and they're so clever. And it's just, you know, by the end of all your years with them, I mean, they really do hold a special place in your heart. And so when you see them succeeding or doing something kind or whatever it is, it's like, oh, right, that's that's why I'm here. Or I'll learn another really cool fact about math or, <laughs> yeah. or whatever it is. They're like, oh, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm we just um, one of our last episodes, we talked about the temperaments. And I would be curious for you as a class teacher who's really in the thick of the temperaments, you know, when, when that is the the expression of human personality in so many ways. Could you speak a little bit about how you work with the temperaments as a teacher, you know, just in in community with your students? Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, certainly in the younger grades, when you're telling more stories, you work different things 
into your story. So if you're telling a fairy tale um, and there's a feast, really describe the amazingly delicious food. And there's, you know, bowls of steaming meat and fragrant soups. And I don't know, maybe there's hot chocolate. and It's like the Redwall books. The Redwall books. I cannot read those books without a snack. Like I... Literally, when I was a kid, I used to cut an apple into sliver thin slices just so I could constantly have something in my mouth while I was reading those books. <laughs> I read those too when I was a kid. I love them. Um, so, you know, those sorts of descriptions, they feed literally and metaphorically the uh, the phlegmatic temperaments, right? The ones who are just um, very even keeled, sort of slower paced. You know, they like to organize things. They usually really love their food. So things like that really serve the phlegmatic children really well. If you're trying to get the sanguine ones, you know, those social butterflies who are constantly flitting around the classroom, you know, you talk about the sparkling gems Mm. that were found in the treasure room or, you know, the butterflies or the birds or the light twinkling on on the water. Um, The cholerics who are the sort of the fiery leaders, you know, you work in the adventure, right? They're defeating the dragon. They're striding forwards into the sunset with their mighty sword or, you know, whatever it was. Uh, And then for the melancholics, um, you know, who sometimes, you know, they're often the beautifully artistic, poetic ones. But, you know, sometimes life can be very hard when you're melancholic. So maybe there's a little bit of sadness or a little bit of tragedy in the story because they there's they have a lot of empathy if that character is suffering right so mm-hmm. it's just things like that you can sort of work in a little something for everybody mm. uh, it's like, it's almost like having um just it, it it's like another set of tools you know yeah, yeah nice yeah i i'm wondering about since you've taken one class through and now you're on your second what was that experience like? You know, I, I mean, I remember as an eighth grader graduating, feeling like Miss Compost can never have another class. Like she can't, she, she can't cheat on us. Like, we're, we're hers. The idea was preposterous. So yeah. I, I'm just wondering for you as a teacher, you know, was, was that, um, you know, what was that process like? How was it coming into a room with, with the, maybe some more confidence of you you're doing it for a second time, but then there are also new children in front of you. Yeah. So um, years ago, a colleague said to me, uh, cause she was about to, she had just done that change. I think she was in grade one. She'd done grade eight. She was back into grade one. And, you know, she was saying, uh, I think in the faculty room one day, she's like, they don't even, they don't, if I raise an eyebrow, they don't know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> My last class, I could raise my eyebrow and they knew exactly what that meant. You have to teach them what the eyebrow means. <laughs> oh, that is just this is perfect example because again, after all of those years, you know, you know the children, they know you. I can't tell you how many times in a week my students read my mind. Yeah. They'll see me pause and think, and they'll say, Oh, we're gonna go do this now, aren't we? And it's like, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but in grade one, they don't they don't know what the eyebrow means, or if you sigh or whatever, they don't know that yet. So you just, you have to take the time to get to know them and they get to know you and they want to know you, which Mm. is adorably sweet. And if you spend the time to get to know them, uh, so it's really a question of forging new relationships when you go from grading back down to grade one. Mm. Um, And, you know, everyone's kind of starting at the place of not knowing each other. So if you give it the time and the patience to get to know each other, then give it a little while and they will know what the eyebrow means. Yeah. Yeah. There's just such a, I mean, one year when I was teaching both Spanish and in the high school, I went straight from ninth grade English to first, first grade Spanish. And it was like the first 10 minutes I was in that classroom. Like I was, I was like, Ooh, no sarcasm. Hmm. No, no, no. no. (laughs) It was like recalibrating, you know, it, it felt, it was really challenging, but you know, I wonder for you, what did you do coming out of eighth grade, which is, you know, so different than from first grade? Like, what did you do over the summer to maybe like, you know, prepare for that different gesture coming into the first grade classroom? Yeah, it is definitely a different gesture. Uh, one thing that we do at our school uh, as much as we can uh, is the grade one, the incoming grade one teacher 
uh, goes and visits all of the grade one children at their homes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's a wonderful reset because, you know, it's, it's really sad to say goodbye to your grade eights, you know, even if they're just moving down the road to your high school or mm-hmm. wherever it is that they're going. Right. But um, yeah, you just, you sort of have to take this step back, take a deep breath and go out and meet these wonderfully adorable shining little faces who are sometimes, you know, they'll talk your ear off or sometimes they will hide behind a parent. Um, and just, you know, seeing them with their parents, seeing their room or meeting their dog or whatever mm-hmm. it is, seeing the trampoline that they love and just getting to spend a little bit of time with each one individually, uh, I think is a, a really good start. So then as I'm working on my planning over the summer, I say, oh, right. Okay. So I, I have an idea of, of who these children are mm-hmm. that are coming towards me in September. Um, and that, yeah, that really helped me sort of reset my brain yeah. back in a different mood. I didn't take my current class. I took them in grade two, um, but I actually still did the home visit thing with them yeah. and I was able to reset. Um, but I was lucky. I actually knew. So my current class was the, they were the grade one buddies when my last class was in grade eight. Oh, that's beautiful. So I already, you know, I had sort of a little bit of a sense of who they were mm-hmm. already, but often you don't have that. You don't, yeah. it's hard to get to know the kindergarten children when you're up doing grade eight things. Yeah. I, I'm curious if you, and, and this is kind of moving into a more broad conversation, but you know, we, we live in a time where we're doing a lot of looking at what books are we reading? What topics are we teaching? Is this, you know, is this a, you know, what are the, what are the sacred cows of Waldorf education and what is just what was done? And so we've been doing it right. Mm -hmm. I think especially in the grade school, the curriculum is so specific in so many ways that there maybe has been, a little bit more kind of pushback when it comes to shifting or changing or finding different stories. Could you speak a little bit as a grades teacher into how, you know, are you having conversations with parents about kind of the whys behind the curriculum? Are you, do you see opportunities to incorporate newer stories into the curriculum? I would just be curious about kind of where, what you've seen in your teaching experience when it comes to, the idea of maybe modernizing the curriculum in the topics that are covered and then also bringing in maybe stories from communities who haven't traditionally been a part of the Waldorf curriculum as it was, you know, defined coming out of Germany. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's, I'm guessing that's something a lot of Waldorf schools are working on right now. Uh, I know that's something we're working on at our school right now. And I think once, you know, very broadly speaking, if you uh, if you step away from the stories or sort of that, you know, those, those sacred cows, right, those traditional stories and subjects that we teach every year, um, they have wonderful value. They're amazing. But if we also can look out and find other things, and if we're looking at what those stories are nurturing in the children, is it the trickster? Is it the adventurer? Is it the revolutionaries? that we teach grade eights about because like every 14 year old is a revolutionary. So Mm -hmm. we teach them revolutions. But you can find different types of revolutions, for example, right? Different people who were revolutionaries. And so I think, yeah. So I I think that's the way to go about it is to look at what is it meeting in the child and then where can we find other examples and work those in as well and just enrich the curriculum. Yeah, nice. I, I think that's, yeah, that, I mean, we, we've we just, you know, when we were on a faculty together, it was, you know, a, a conversation of, you know, what what can I do within my subject to, or, or less of less of that, but more of, like, what is the actual thing that this story is delivering? Kind of like you're saying, what is this nurturing in the children, and is there another story that can nurture this? Yeah. Because yeah. there are some things, like... Norse mythology is really, really Norse mythology, you know, and 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 there are some things that have that, but but it's like even just taking that extra time to say, is this the only thing, or is there something else, or is there another 
story, right? No. I'm yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, I'm, I'm wondering, uh, Stephanie, if in, uh, we have about 10 minutes or so, uh, if, if there's a question you have for us. Ooh, oh my goodness. I hadn't thought of any <laughs> questions for you guys. Um, I mean, I'm sure you, I, I haven't, full disclosure, I haven't listened to all of your podcast episodes oh, yet. Oh, shame, 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 shame. <laughs> <I know. laughs> Um, but you know, I'd, I'd love to hear what you guys love most about teaching in the high school. Cause that sounds like a lot of fun too. Um, yeah. so what, what do you love about it? Well, I, I personally enjoy, um, I mean, for me, the, a teenager, I, I fell in love with teenagers because they were so hopeful. Um, you know, there's a, in ninth grade, there's an, an, a naivete perhaps, but, but, you know, genuine, genuine human care and, um, and then, of course, by senior year, there's a little bit more worldliness, and but still, there's there's this emphasis on trying to make something happen in the world, trying to do something good. And um, my focus has always been on math and science, so it was always trying to ask, can you ask a better question? You know, what what are the questions you're asking? Can they can they be better? And really, for me, working with um, thinking itself. Mathematics is so great in one way and so dangerous in another way because you can really teach a child to think and then you can teach a child that they can't think. So mm -hmm. so for me, it was working in the in the thinking realm with the students and and um, that was one half of my job. My other job, half of the job was taking them outside and, and doing wilderness trips with them. So, um, but yeah, I, I just really enjoy the flexibility of thinking and you know, you can tell students who've come out of multiple years of Waldorf education, you know, just how ready they are to take up a subject and wrestle with it and look at it from different perspectives. And, um, you know, nothing seems to be fixed. I would mm -hmm. characterize them as being very flexible. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was kind of the opposite end of the spectrum. I was English and a little bit of history and some art. Um, I... I, again, I also just loved teenagers. I thought that it was, it's such a squirrely time, but there's also, like Matthew said, this like, this real glimmer of possibility when they look forward. And um, there's, they're so inwardly active, right? And when you can harness that toward a conversation, you know, I, I always think of like ninth grade was so fun because you you got to kind of like I always loved bantering with ninth graders because they were like teachers can do that you know there, there was yeah, like this really right. fun kind of like <laughs> welcome to high school y'all like just really and 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 just seeing you know seeing just the them evolve into a new environment I always loved that with ninth graders and then and then there was nothing more incredible than you know sitting down with seniors and like just the conversations that would come about you know, and, and the things that they would say and, and listening to them and, and challenging them to kind of double check where an assumption comes from. And, um, I, I think just the conversations that came out of the classroom were, were so, were so nourishing and so hopeful. And, um, you know, I, I really, and, and also just as someone who experienced the power of a class seeing, those relationships, you know, between students and seeing the profound love they have for each other yeah. is just really. <clears throat> I mean, for me too, that at high, at the high school level, it, it does seem to be the first time they, they really wake up into themselves. I mean, I would have students who'd say like, yeah, I don't really know the multiplications tables. Like we never really learned the multiplication tables. And I'd look at them and be like, you've never learned the multiplication tables. Seriously. <laughs> like, they definitely did. Yeah, of course. Of course they did. But they didn't actually like consciously say like, yeah, I learned them. You know, it was all like in this dream state kind of. And it's hard to kind of describe, but. But it's like the information is in there. They yeah. just can't. There was never a point where the teacher said, wonderful. You learned the multiplication tables. Let's move on. It was like they were the multiplication tables. Yeah. So, <laughs> it's, it's, so it's in there. And so then in high school, we're like, hey, that thing that's rumbling around in your spleen, that's math. You learned it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
<laughs> that was really fun. Yeah, well, I, that's my understanding. I studied the high school curriculum a little bit, so maybe you can help me out here. But my understanding is that it almost like reverse mirrors the elementary curriculum, right? I, to me, that's amazing. And I think that touches on exactly what you were saying, Taylor. It's just, uh, we're going to look back now and remember that thing you did all those years ago, right? We're going to make it conscious. We're going to pull it in. We're going to work with it more deeply. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. And it's so cool in a history class to be able to tap back into Rome, right? And, you know, Rome from the point of view of like a narrative, right? Where, where they were they got the description of the Roman baths and, and the, the aqueducts and they were the, the gladiator. And, and, you know, like they, in the grade school, it's so story-based, even in middle school history, where I remember so many of our assignments in middle school were, you know, you are on this boat. You are writing in a journal as if you are a person on this boat, make it come alive. And then in high school, it's like, then you're looking at it from a broader scale, you're looking at trends over time and, and these little moments that were catalysts for other moments. And it's so cool because they already are familiar. They're like, wait, yeah, I remember Rome. I remember the emperors of Rome. And then you can say, yes, and guess what? You know, and and that, you know, like this emperor had a party where the guests drowned in rose petals. Can you believe it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. And, and there's just like this you you get to build on a foundation that's already there and that's really cool yeah and i would say even more even, you would build in foundations and also highlight connections that were built up over time so as i would teach projective geometry and i'd talk about a line and then at some point in my class i'd say well this is really eurythmy you know that right like your arms stretching out to both sides i mean you're 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 drawing that but you've done that before and it's like you know Sometimes the students would go with me there and sometimes they wouldn't, but, but you could, in high school, we just have that, the ability to sit on that whole rich foundation that, that you and the, as grade school teachers, you know, build. And, and mm -hmm. it's nice. It's, I find it really rewarding to make those connections too. Yeah. And I think that's, I, I love that. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say, I think that's the power of doing it all. Right. And I think we were in a high school where we found that there were a lot of people who came in in high school, you know, wanting something different, right? And and we we met those students as they came in, but there was still still something unique and distinct about about the student who says, "Wait a second. We talked about this in 5th grade." Or you know, yeah, or right. there there is still something to be yeah, or like when Mike IL is being we would have a senior be Mike IL. And, and, you know, when that happens, that, that there's a weight to that choice that comes from having witnessed that celebration for 14 years for some of them, you know, and, and like the weight of being chosen is seen as a true responsibility yeah. versus someone who's kind of like, oh, okay, so this is like a part in a play. I don't really understand, you know, so I think that that um, like any any bit of it that someone's able to experience is such a gift. But I think that there's there's freedom in the high school to be explicit where things have in the past been implicit, right? Yeah, like where, where you get to name things and point to things and say, look at that, right? Or isn't that amazing? <laughs> you know? So that would that's kind of the Cliff yeah. Notes version. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that, that's lovely. It's always amazing to me when the children do see connections. Yes. Uh, when the, this class was in grade four, um, I shared with them the Sky Woman stories about the creation of Turtle Island, and we also did the Calabala. And there's, you know, both these stories about sort of land forming in this similar way from a woman and water, and it was amazing actually. And they they saw that, you know, these grade four students, these children were able to say, "Oh my gosh." look, these, both these stories share this, or you do the story of Manu and the fish and all the flooding that happens there. And then remember, maybe if they'd heard the story of Noah's Ark, maybe mm -hmm. in grade three, and they're like, oh, hey, a lot of places have stories about big floods. Yeah, yeah they definitely <laughs> do. All around the world, there are big flood stories. And I love when they can see those connections just around the world and through time and across culture and people. And I think that's a really lucky thing. Yeah. And I... And I don't know if they would be able to do that if they hadn't been delivered through story. B 
because, you know, the relationship was something that you learn and then you you learn it and then you reproduce it once and then you move on to the next thing. Like, that's very different from the way information penetrates through a story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it goes in deeply through story for sure. It definitely yeah. does. Well, do you have any any last thoughts, any anything that we didn't ask you that you'd like to share? No, you guys are awesome. This has been so much fun. <laughs> oh, you've been amazing. Yeah. I, I uh, Class teachers are hard to pin down during the school year. So we're so grateful to you <laughs> yeah. for taking taking this time to speak with us. Yeah. It's been a pleasure. It's really been a pleasure. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Stephanie. Thank you. Would you like to be a sponsor on Hard Beeswax? Email us at hardbeeswax at gmail.com. That concludes another episode of Hard Beeswax. Thanks for listening. For episodes and more, please visit our website, hardbeeswax.transistor.fm.